If you will, please stand for the reading of our text today. Hebrews 13, 17 reads thusly, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Let's bow together and pray. Father, we thank you for your word that brings light and life to the world, that directs us and corrects us. Do all these things in us today, for we come in Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, speaking as our text does of joy juxtaposed with grief, it occurs to me that that, uh, though the closing of the local Arby's some years ago produced grief for some, it is our joy here at Grace Covenant Presbyterian to be the remaining outpost of Arby's with RB1 as our senior pastor and RB2 as our soon-to-be associate. The roast beef sandwich chain, as you know, has trademarked the phrase, we have the meats, a mantra we may adopt as Reformed Christians and full-throated proclaimers of undiluted biblical theology. Perhaps we should have planned an afternoon feast of roast beef and root beer, but I was not consulted on that. But we are thankful that this local branch of Arby's is still open for God's business. In questions 124 through 128 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, we find substantial flesh on the bones of the Fifth Commandment. You recall the Fifth Commandment, I presume, the one that reads, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. In question 124, the divines ask, Who are meant by father and mother in the Fifth Commandment? To which they answered, Quote, By father and mother in the Fifth Commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as, by God's ordinance, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. End quote. Thus we arrive at the applicability of the fifth commandment to our purposes today. In question 126 of the larger catechism, the divines ask, what is the general scope of the fifth commandment? And they answered, the general scope of the fifth commandment is the performance of those duties which we mutually owe in our several relations as inferiors, superiors, and equals. End quote. We are gathered today not only to worship God and renew covenant with him, but also to ordain a duly examined and qualified man who, though already a ruling elder among us, will shortly assume a position of authority over us, that of pastor in the church of Jesus Christ. He will be charged concerning that duty by Pastor Booth in a short while. But first, a few words of exhortation to you, to us all, who will be his inferiors in this society which is Christ's church. The word inferior 
registers discordantly against our egalitarian sensibilities, but we all, without exception, are, are inferiors in our various relations to other people. Most of us in this room also have the privileges and duties of superiors to certain others, and we all have many equals as well. Perhaps only one person in the building today is not, in some sense, a superior to someone else, and that likely is little Enora Modar, who will have to have these concepts driven home repeatedly in years to come and won't be tested today. But she and we all, sinners all, certainly will be tested in days to come when we are challenged by Pastor Bradley's admonitions and reproofs from God's word. We should recall that faithful are the wounds of a friend, a true friend, and that as the Lord chastens those whom he loves, so should faithful and loving pastors chasten, challenge, and correct the course of their flock when needed. We have duties of which we need to be aware as we recognize Pastor Bradley today. We need to note God's design for inferiors, since he has designed so many inferiors throughout the world. In 1648, the authors of the larger catechism also unveiled a design for inferiors, which was fashioned after God's own, and they presented it beautifully in answering question 127, which is, what is the honor that inferiors owe their superiors? They styled that answer thusly, quote, The honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior, prayer and thanksgiving for them, imitation of their virtues and graces, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their corrections, fidelity to defense and maintenance of their persons and authority according to their several ranks and the nature of their places, bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love so that they may be an honor to them and to their government. End quote. So, in, the late, in maybe uh, words not quite 17th century, what do we owe this man? Our father superior in the government of Christ church. We owe him this. We will respect and defer to his teaching and counsel. We will not criticize his sermons or instruction on the way home from church, taking shots at his style and manner. If we believe he was careless in content and representing the historic doctrines of our faith, we will take care to privately and humbly ask him for clarification likely to correct our own misunderstanding. We will pray diligently and daily for him with thanksgiving for his ministry. We will imitate his character and his commitment to God's word and will follow his example of daily devotional discipline, hospitality, parenting, thriftiness, industry, humility, and his various other virtues which are manifold and manifest. We will submit to and obey his lawful commands, counsels, and corrections 
willingly and cheerfully, knowing that they arise from his personal commitment to watch out for our souls as one who will give an account to God. We will faithfully defend his authority as our pastor and superior in the church and will not allow criticism and carping to proceed unchallenged either from our own households or in conversation with others. We will faithfully tithe on our financial increase so that the church has the resources to support both him and Pastor Booth in their full-time ministries. We will bear humbly, patiently, and prayerfully with his infirmities, weaknesses, annoying tendencies, and innate humanness. And we will cover them in love, knowing that he also is being continually sanctified and that he likely will make any number of rookie mistakes as he matures in this office. We will recognize no pastor or person has ever performed perfectly, and thus we will not judge him according to a standard other than that by which we are willing to be judged and by which we judge ourselves. And finally, we will do all this, all the above, so that we jointly and separately may be an honor to our pastors and to their government. Now, if you intend to faithfully do these things, would you respond by answering with me, we will. We will. Thank you. The task of a pastor is not easy. The occasional expressions of gratitude and encouragement from congregants and the satisfaction of watching young people whom he baptized and counseled become faithful church members and dutiful parents and the joys of seeing Christ transform those devastated by sin as surely as he delivered the Gadarene demoniac are punctuated frequently by disappointing reminders that Jesus chose that recalcitrant and wandering and hapless species, sheep, to be the most fitting metaphor for his people. It typically is a lonely road, and it generally is only in the arms of his wife that he can totally relax and take refuge. He is a public man, and so is scrutinized accordingly. He feels the weight of the eternal destiny of those under his watch and the accountability that Scripture tells him will be required. Thus, is he worthy of the honor that is aforementioned, that is owed to him by us as inferiors by God's design. We thank God for inclining Roy's heart to serve him and all of us in this outpost, in the midst of a treacherous world. And we thank him, thank God, for Roy's deep sense of duty and personal integrity. So let us not grow weary in well-doing. And when he grows weary, as he will, let us, as Aaron and Hur did for Moses in Rephidim, find a stone for him to sit on. And let us uphold his arms so that together we might win the battle for Jesus' sake. Our Father, we rejoice that you have granted us Roy Bradley as a pastor. And we thank you for equipping him for this role, 
Help us to honor Him as we ought and convict us when we fail to support His faithful labors among us. Establish Him ever more firmly in Your Word and continue to endue Him with humility, wisdom, and insight into Your Word. We come in that great shepherd of Your sheep, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Please rise again for another reading of the text from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Hear now God's word. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn in their ear, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said, You may be seated. This church was constituted in June of 1988 as a mission church of Grace Covenant Church uh, of Texarkana, Arkansas, where I was the pastor at the time and had the joy and the privilege of helping oversee the beginning of this congregation. And we are all deeply grateful to God for his kindness to us over the years. And I am also confident that there are many, many more good things coming our way. We rejoice today over another blessing, which is the ordination of Pastor Roy Bradley to be another shepherd for this flock. I was ordained to the ministry 38 years ago, and so I think I finally qualify as a senior pastor Much of what I learned, I confess, I learned the hard way. But much of what I learned also came by way of those who went before me and who have been willing to share their wisdom with me. In our text, the Apostle Paul is writing to the younger Timothy to instruct him as a pastor, uh, and he calls him uh, to do likewise going forward, that he also will entrust the gospel, and these things to other men who will be faithful to pass them along. As I've had the privilege of performing many wedding ceremonies over the last few years, in most of those weddings I could see the young, passionate, and enthusiastic, and even optimistic love of these couples that they had for one another, and that always makes me happy. There is an expectation of seeing how God is going to work in them and how he is going to use them for his glory, their trajectory, if you will. And yet I know and you know that they are going to face many challenges as they mature and as they grow in their relationship. You cannot get from here to there or to your destination without difficulties in the journey. Likewise, Roy, it is a privilege for me to participate in this ordination and installation service, which is not unlike a marriage. 
There also, there's also on this day uh, of a ceremony, there is much joy, there is hope, there is anticipation, promise, commitments. These are all about to be made. And not only will you be taking vows, this congregation will be taking vows. And in these mutual commitments, we are called to promote the peace and the prosperity of the church and that God will use this particular outpost of his kingdom and he has many, to do remarkable things. The first commitment Paul calls upon Timothy to make is to take the things that he has heard from Paul and from others and to transmit those things intact to other faithful men. How important is it that the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ be preserved accurately? Close isn't good enough. That this is your primary responsibility, this deposit that is being made to you. Paul has already charged Timothy to re- retain the standard of sound words which he had heard from Paul. And now as Paul prepares to leave this world, he writes this last letter. And in, in it, his concerns turn to the fact that the gospel baton needs to be passed on accurately. Roy We must always have an eye to the future. Ministers are specifically charged with guarding this deposit of sound words. To fulfill your ministry, you will be, it will be both rewarding and difficult. And it, I can assure you, like most things in life, God doesn't really let us know ahead of time just how hard it will be to be married or to have children and raise them. And so we blissfully have children. Um, and, and, our, and so here we go. And if we knew how hard it was, we might think again. And the same is true, I can tell you, for the ministry. It will be more difficult than you can imagine. But it will also be more rewarding than you can imagine. There will be times of fatigue and there will be times of self-doubt. I know this from personal experience. And I know this also primarily because that's what the text tells us. The apostle is telling this young pastor what to expect and what he will need to do in the face of that. You are about to be ordained and installed as a pastor, which means you'll be a minister of word and sacrament, a servant of the word and of the sacrament. This won't be just what you do. It will be who you are. This ministry or service of word and sacrament will apply across the board. It will apply personally. It will apply publicly. It will apply privately. First, on the personal level, you will have to remember at all times your own baptism that you bear the name of the triune God. Thus, as a part of the body of Christ, you represent him to the world. And as the bride of Christ, you are to honor your husband. And as one indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are to be under his influence at all times. This is to be seen in your personal life, especially in your family, in your marriage, in your children. The weekly communion you participate in publicly must be reflected in your home as you gather around your table. Daily renewals of covenant so that your house is an outpost of the church and those who look upon you and yours have no doubt that it belongs to the Lord. His word is ever present in your heart in your mouth, and in your life. 
Second, as a minister of the Word and Sacrament, you'll also perform a service in public, primarily in the weekly worship service as you preach and administer the sacraments or in other occasions where you teach His Word. On the first day of each week, you will remind God's people of who He is and what He's done for them, and you will remind them of who they are and why they're here, and you'll do this through the Word and the sacrament. I have already given you a copy of a little book by William Still titled The Work of the Pastor. And here are a couple of comments he made about this public ministry of word and sacrament. He says this, But it is not even in the private chats which follow the preaching of the word that souls are straightened out, so much as in the further sitting and listening to the word. How often people have said that they spent a week wrestling over some spiritual or moral problem and then, coming to church, have had it all solved in the ministry of the Word, so much so that many have accused the preacher of preaching to them. He continues, All that that many spiritually sick people need is a good balanced diet and a disciplined routine. My principal surgery clinic Vestry hour, consulting room, call it what you will, is the pulpit and the teaching desk. If in the end I cannot get people to see this, I despair of them ever becoming what Christ means them to be. They will certainly never become the satisfied, happy, and more important, useful people they could be. And third, the area where you will minister the word will be in private. When you meet to counsel with people, you will need to first, as Philip Henry said of his children, including the famous commentator Matthew, grab them by their baptism. Remind them they belong to Jesus Christ. They are not their own. That they recently, if they were at church and at the Lord's table, made a renewed commitments of loyalty to him at this table. And then... Minister to them privately God's word. All of your ministry is the same. Word and sacrament all the time. So with these things in mind, I want to take a very brief look here at Paul's exhortation to Pastor Timothy and consider the context, the charge, and the comparison. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, living in the light of that truth. Most of us have had occasion to leave town, to leave family, or to leave friends behind. We often charge them with certain duties that they're to carry out while we're gone. Perhaps it's business or chores or simply good behavior. A more dramatic example would be perhaps when a husband or father is leaving to go to war or when a person knows that they will soon die. In these situations, the charge takes on a much more serious tone. These might be a person's last words. They'll want to give them as much thought uh, and and be certain that they are the most important matters. They will want to strike at the heart of the thing that they consider that is essential as they leave this person behind. This is where we are in the cha- this chapter of 2 Timothy. This, uh, Paul faces the fact that he will soon be leaving this world. This is his last letter. He's writing it from a prison in Rome. 
He is about to leave his work, his friends. He has lived his life with the clock ticking in the background, and he wants Timothy to do the same, and we too should keep this as our backdrop. What are Paul's final charges to this pastor he's leaving behind? What are the most critical matters? These are more than words of the words of another dying man. What Paul is about to say must be seen in the context of an unseen reality. He isn't telling Timothy, Timothy, I want you to do this as a favor to me. The context of the charge is the fear of God and eternity. Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Roy, this is an awareness that you must continually cultivate. Let me ask you, do you fear God or men? Because if we fear men, we will not fear God. And if we fear God, we will not fear men. With this awareness and fear, you'll be able to face difficult situations. You'll be able to fulfill your ministry. And without it, you will fail. Paul reminds Timothy that God is the judge of the living and the dead. And if you are to fulfill your ministry, you must always be aware of the fact that you're accountable to him. In this, Paul is also saying that your perspective must be long range. It must be eternal. Don't be overwhelmed by men or circumstances or the moment. Life under the sun is not all that there is. And so he charges him. Preach the word. Your primary responsibility is to be faithful in delivering his word. You're a messenger. You're not only to be faithful if men will hear you. Ezekiel 3. And the Lord said to Ezekiel, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. So I ate it and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. He then said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech or of hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Sometimes people don't listen, but your message, your, your ministry, your mission doesn't change. Then Paul says to Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Now, sometimes people read this because we know that Paul had mentioned earlier in the letter that Timothy was timid, uh, that perhaps this was Timothy's personal ups and downs he's referring to, but it's not. The context here, in chapter 3, he's all, all talked about difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self and so forth. And he said, basically he's saying there will be cultural ups and downs. There will be time when Christianity is well received and the, and the word of God and the gospel. And there will be times when it's not. You be ready regardless of whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall. No matter what the season is. No matter what is going on around you. Your ministry remains the same. Be ready, but know this, in the last days, perilous times, it's the same word used in chapter 3, verse 1, 
Perilous times will come. Difficult seasons will come. There will be storms. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, our text says, they will heap up for themselves teachers. The word ready means to stand above. Be above the circumstances. But why preach? Uh, Men aren't going to listen. And in God's sovereign... Ezekiel 3, verses 18 through 19, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hands. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity but you have delivered your soul. Ecclesiastes 11.6, In the morning sow your seed, in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Apply the word of God to all men in all times and all circumstances, The minister's task is not necessarily to say something nice. We are ambassadors for Christ, and our duty is to deliver the message of the king, all of it. Note the example of Nathaniel, uh, excuse me, Nathan and David, uh, when David had sinned. And, And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. So, Nathan, even in that situation, speaking to the king, doesn't shrink from his duty. Your duty may require you to say some things that sometimes others don't want to hear. Now, of course, you must be wise, kind, gracious, and bold. This congregation should sit under the ministry of the word week after week, not wondering, is he preaching to me? He is. It's God, this is God's word. This is not a matter of if, but what. Two guidelines should be observed when delivering God's word. First, he says it should be done with great, I like this word, well, I kind of don't like this word, long-suffering. We say patience. But I think long-suffering captures it better. The character of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit must show forth in all that you do. Patience or long-suffering in these matters is evidence that you have confidence in God and what he's doing, even when you can't see what he's doing. The message might be offensive to sinners, but your manner ought not be offensive. Nevertheless, the content of the message is permanent. Galatians 1, 7 through 7-10, There are some, Paul writes, who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you other than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul says, let him go to hell. Strong words. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you other than what you have received, let him be accursed. So he says it twice. For do I... For do I now persuade men or God, I do, or do I seek to please men? 
For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And again, in Philippians, Paul writes in chapter 1, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. The second guideline in delivering the word is that it should be done with all teaching, all instruction. You must be certain that the people have been taught properly, taught right. Do they have the instruction book? Do they have someone to explain it to them? Often people foul up because they've never been taught the right way. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. Or perhaps they need help doing it. And, of course, sometimes they just don't want to do it. That's a different problem. And then finally, in verses 3 through 5, for the time or season will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is going to happen, so don't be surprised. Neither I nor Paul are saying this is true of this congregation or even the congregation he's writing to at Ephesus. He's speaking more broadly. But there are people who come and go in a church, and there are many topics that a pastor must address from the Word of God. I want to just take a moment to make a personal word of thanks. I've been here 22 years, and I have never, ever felt like there was a subject that I could not speak to from Scripture. And I know a lot of pastors who are not in that situation. Thank you. Keep up the good work. There will, from time to time, though, be pressure, there might be, to back off or just not go there. Paul says some will not endure healthy words or sound doctrine. They perhaps want some additives or a watered-down version of the gospel. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap up for themselves teachers. And I do think we see this, unfortunately, uh, in many places in, across the Christian world these days. Your first concern, though, is not to draw a big crowd. Charles Spurgeon said, An evil is in the professed camp of the Lord so gross in its impudence that the most short-sighted can hardly fail to notice it. During the past few years, it has developed at an abnormal rate, even for evil. It has worked like leaven until the whole lump ferments. The devil has seldom done a cleverer thing than hinting to the church that part of their mission is to provide entertainment for the people with a view to winning them. From speaking out as the Puritans did, the church has gradually toned down her testimony, then winked at and excused the, frivolous, the frivolities of the day. Then she tolerated them in her borders, and now she has adopted them under the plea of reaching the masses. As Jeremiah 5 says, the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority and my people love it so. And so Paul warns Pastor Timothy they'll turn their ears away from the truth. These are not people who seek the truth and hadn't found it. They found it, but they were not interested. And so they found a preacher that would agree with them. 
and will turn aside to fables, spiritual junk food. Give us something exciting. Give us something sensational. We want to be entertained, not convicted. This kind of thing can come in many forms, by the way. And this, take to heart, it can be cheap and silly. But it can also be disguised as deep and intellectual. Pharisees and Sadducees took themselves very seriously. But you, Paul says to Timothy, but you, your behavior isn't in any way contingent upon what others do or don't do. Be watchful in all things. In spite of the fact that many take these matters lightly, you must not. Your ministerial, you must take your ministerial duty seriously. Endure afflictions. Put up with the difficulties. They won't last long. No one is saying this will be easy. In fact, just the opposite was promised from the very beginning. In fact, you better worry if there are no hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Have you accurately and with patience proclaimed the gospel to all those whom God has brought across your path? This is important. Resist any temptation to evaluate people by how they look or where they came from or what color they are or what what their backgrounds are. God is no respecter of persons and neither should you be. And finally, he says, fulfill your ministry. Get the job done no matter what's going on around you. Good days, bad days, good weeks, bad weeks, good years, bad years, personal ups and downs, church ups and downs, cultural ups and downs. Roy, your ministerial duty remains constant. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we believe that you choose men to shepherd your church through giving them the necessary gifts and abilities, through calling them to faith in Jesus Christ and giving them the desire and commitment to serve your church, and through leading your church to recognize their calling. Bless now this congregation as we witness the formal setting apart of this man for the ministry of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I ask uh, Roy and the other elders to please come forward. He'll stand front and center there, and you guys can come up behind him. I'll join you in a moment. I'm gonna, we're going to do the ordination vows, and there are quite a few of them. Roy is already a ruling elder in our church, and so these first seven questions you've already answered before, but we're going to ask you again. And just um, to be sure we've... Uh, uh, secured this completely, we're going to ask four more. So, uh, will you shepherd the flock of God committed to your charge as one who must give an account, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for personal gain, but willingly, not lording over the congregation, but being an example to the flock? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the doctrinal standards of this church being set forth in our book of confessions as your own confession of faith and as a faithful statement of the doctrines taught in the scriptures?
If at any time you find yourself out of accord with any point of our book of confessions, will you, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of these vows? Will you be diligent with God's help to build and maintain yourself and your household according to the doctrine of Christ and to make both yourself and your household wholesome examples and patterns to the flock of Christ? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of this church in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord unto whom is committed the charge and government over you following uh, following with a humble attitude and will, and, 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 will uh, and follow their godly admonitions, submitting yourself to their godly judgments? And here are the additional questions. Will you instruct the people committed to your charge to teach nothing as necessary to eternal salvation but that which may be concluded and proved by the Scripture? Will you be diligent to read and study the Holy Scriptures and call upon God by prayer for the true understanding of His Word so that you may be able by them to teach and exhort and to refute and convince the gainsayers? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the peace, purity, and unity of the church, regardless of what persecution or opposition may come about as a result of that truth? And finally, will you give yourself to minister the word and sacraments and the discipline of Christ as the Lord has commanded and as this church has received the same, so that you may, be, so that you may shepherd the people committed to your charge with all diligence, leading them to keep and observe the same? And to this congregation, do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive this brother as a pastor? And do you promise to yield to him all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which his office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles him? Do you so vow? We do. Amen. Amen. Our Father, we give you thanks. We come with great joy today. Uh, you have blessed our congregation. We thank you for this man that you have raised up in our midst. We pray, Lord, that you would grow your people and mature us, that we would be a blessing to him and to you, and that we would be an example for others around us. We thank you, Father, for this great calling and this blessing. We ask that you would sustain him and encourage him and strengthen him for the days and years that lie ahead. We pray in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father, we give you thanks for Roy's gifts that you have given him and for his love for your word and for your church, which also are your gifts to him. We thank you for his faithful wife, Christy, for their children, and for this congregation over which you have given him rule. We pray that you make all these willing and cheerful obedient and submissive to his rule. Grant him continued maturity and wisdom and insight into your word. And we pray, O oh God, that you would be his vision, his hope, and his greatest desire forever. In Christ's name we pray. Heavenly Father, as you have called Roy by your spirit and through your providence, give him the strength to accomplish the new obligations and responsibilities that you're being placed upon him. May he be a man of prayer and a man who is a student of the scriptures. May he govern his household well with wisdom, discipline, and love. 
Give him the grace to use his time wisely, that his priorities may be in order. Give him humility along with this honor that is being placed upon him today. Give him the grace to lead by serving. Give him a listening ear to the problems of this congregation. And may he be a man who is like Jesus, gentle and lowly of heart, exhibiting the kindness that you have shown us. We ask, O Lord, that you will now set apart this man for this task through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We present to you Pastor Roy Bradley. you. I have a lot that I could say, much I want to say that I will spare you. Um, I do want to make a few personal remarks before we um, enter into our next uh, part of our worship service. Um, In May of 2010, after having recently transitioned out of the pastorate of a small church in central Texas at the ripe age of 28, I traveled to Nacogdoches to interview for a job at Regents Academy. I vividly remember sitting at a roundtable with all the members of the Regents board, some of whom are in this room today, being questioned about various aspects of my life and beliefs and work history and so on. Most of the questions, as I recall, were softballs and ones I had more or less expected to have to answer with some confidence and accuracy because I wanted a job. But there was one question in particular that I was not expecting, asked by a particular board member, a gentleman with a peculiar fondness for cheesy word plays, and who seemed to have some experience serving on boards of various kinds. I think most of you know to whom I am referring. Um, Elder Alders may have perceived something vaguely unsettled in me that prompted the question, Roy, do you have any interest in ever pursuing pastoral ministry again in the future? An otherwise benign question, this is actually the one I found the most difficult to answer with clarity. At that time in my life, I was uh, frustrated. Excuse me. And confused, regardless of how I had tried to pursue the goals that I thought God wanted me to accomplish. Things had not at all worked out as I had hoped. One frustration after another. And so I had somewhat reached a a personal breaking point. But I remember wanting to respond to the question with a solid no. Just so I, I didn't have to engage in that conversation. But I knew that was too short-sighted, even then. So I instead answered with a heavily qualified, yes, but probably not. I had already wrestled with the question internally. I had already established a self-imposed, narrow principle that would govern this possibility, namely, that I would not actively pursue any position of pastoral leadership unless 
it were to arise naturally and organically from within a church community to which I was already committed. If that community were to, on their own account, recognize in me any fitness for pastoral leadership, then I would be certainly open to exploring that opportunity. But I would not promote myself for the role. So I took the job at Regents, and the Bradley household subsequently joined Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church on October 31st, 2010. Little Aaron and baby Claire were baptized that day. God has many ways of humbling a man, and in his impeccable timing, nearly 12 years after my family and I made a covenant with this body of believers, here I stand before you, thankful, joyful, and truly humbled at your continued love for me and my family and your confidence in me to do the work of a pastor. I do feel the weight of the responsibilities of this office, and I do not take that lightly. Please pray for me as I seek to be a faithful laborer among this flock. And now, let's turn our attention to the climax of our worship, this table. Will you stand with me and sing the Gloria Patri? We thank you, our Lord, for the hope that we have, that Jesus reigns as triumphant king, that the dead are raised with him to resurrection life, and that all people will stand before his judgment. We face that day without fear, for you, our judge, are also our savior. With the whole creation, we wait for the day when we will see you face to face. You will heal our hurts, end our wars, and make the crooked straight. Then we will join in the new song to the Lamb without blemish, who has made us a kingdom of priests to our God. You, our God, will be all in all. Righteousness and peace will flourish. Everything will be made new, and every eye will see at last that our world belongs to the one true and living God through the risen and exalted King, Jesus Christ. This future hope is ours today. May we go forth now from this place to live as heirs of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. Now, Christian, receive this benediction from the Lord. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.